This month on Devil Times 5, Hong Kong crime stories done in the worst possible taste in the crazy world of Cat 3 horror. Hello, you are listening to episode 51 of the Devil Times 5 horror podcast. Now, last month I picked Hong Kong Cat 3 movies as our theme for this episode. Uh, This month, everyone in Britain has become hyper-aware of the threat posed to women by dangerous men, which means that this month's theme is either horribly inappropriate or incredibly timely. You decide. Still, I'm sure we'll deal with the topic in our usual sensitive way. Uh, Anyway, I'm Cliff, and uh, my fellow comedy cops who puke whenever they see a dead body are Bryony, Emily and Luke. Hi. Hello. All right. (laughs) And joining us this time, our very special guest devil is the modern day genius of special effects, the man behind the monsters and gore in The Human Centipede 2, Sightseers, The Borderlands, Await Further Instructions, Lords of Chaos, In Fabric, Colour Out of Space, Host, Possessor, and many, many more films, and also co host of the excellent Arrow video podcast. Please welcome the incredible Dan Martin. Woo! Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully, Dan, it won't be too long before we find out if you won your first Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Yeah, fingers for crossed. Possessor and Colour Out of Space. Do you know when that's happening? Uh, I believe the ceremony is the 18th of next month. April. Yeah. Cool. Very exciting. I think you're shooing on both categories, to be honest. Um, I noticed one of your co nominees is called Eric Porn, P O R N. But <laughs> if, you, if you Google him, you mainly get hits for a porn star called Eric Everard. Which is oh, a yeah. great name for it. <laughs> you, you're aware of him, Bernie. I'm not aware of his oeuvre. It's a great name for a porn star, but not as good as Eric Porn. We probably thought that was too on the nose, so he changed it. Yeah. That's like the olden times when like, you call people Jeff Farmer. Yeah. Because he's a farmer. I wonder if he has <laughs> an ancestry of porn stars going back to medieval <laughs> times. Generation, proud line of, of Rogers. Like um, racy um, etchings from the 18th century. Yes. He's relative to produce. He's constantly resisting the nominative determinism that comes with his name. (laughs) Every day he's getting into scrapes that could be solved with sex. (laughs) He just veers himself away. Always make sure he's got change for the pizza guy. I just imagine like, some, someone in a like Welsh village going like, uh, "Oh, uh, we've got uh, Gwyth and Porn coming down for the uh, for the pornographic show this afternoon. We're going to be doing a scene with uh, Jones the Todger. <laughs> They're fantastic Todger shadow puppetry for the village. Anyway, enough post porn fiction. Uh, let's discuss our hards and softs, I mean highs and lows, from the last few weeks <laughs> of horror viewing. Um, Emily, you can start. Highs and lows. Um, aside from all the Cat 3 stuff, which has done interesting stuff to my brain, and it will probably never recover. Uh, as I think I've said for the past two months, the real horror has been outside this month. But I did watch one movie that wasn't Cat 3, and that was Basket Case. Yeah. which mm. I haven't watched for ages. Um, it's still awesome. And I found the stop motion bits just incredibly charming, even though it involves a deformed guy fucking people up. It was just like, oh, look, it's stop motion. <laughs> yeah, it's so, cool. yeah, it's quality. Proper New York scars. Yeah, I love that stuff. I love rubber monsters. Uh, and I mm. love the sort of earnest 
fuck it, we'll just make it happen attitude to those independent films of that era. There's uh, there's always a sort of inescapable charm to them. Yes, indeed. Yeah, very yeah. much so. They're always good fun. They're so scuzzy, but they're always really good fun. Like, it's almost polar opposite of some of the stuff we've watched this month. Uh, Luke? Um, my high is uh, Violence Voyager. Just a ridiculous animation. It's all cardboard cut out. Um, but then when there's gory parts, he uses, like, gunge and other stuff to yeah. push out of the cardboard cutouts. So it's just such a ridiculous, um, over-the-top film that I just, yeah, just really enjoyed that one. Just because it was a bit different than other horror animation that I'd seen before. Yeah, have you seen um, The Burning Buddha Man, the other one? No, I, that's the, the other one I didn't watch, because I watched their other, um, they did a short film as well called Tempura, where mm. it's about a man going into a cave and yeah. all the animals were been put in Tempura and then this man's yeah. going around with a gun turning people into Tempura, so it's just, <laughs> just sort of wacky ideas. That, I preferred Burning Buddha yeah. Man to Violence Voyager. Yeah, and... I, need to, I need to watch that one, because I, I got the whole two the yeah. box set thing that they released. Yeah, nice set, that. And then my low is um, a film called The Oak Room, which I was excited for because it's got RJ Might in it who plays um, Walter White Jr. in Breaking Bad. Um, but it's a person going into a bar um, telling a story to someone and then it goes into the story but it's standing in another bar, someone telling a story and then it goes into another story and it just doesn't make any sense. And it said it was a horror but there's like two bits of gore throughout the whole film and it doesn't really ever lead anywhere. And you think the reason they're telling the stories is because it's going to lead somewhere and it's just doesn't and it's pretty much just a conversation in the movie it's very <laughs> very boring um, um have you seen my dinner with andre that is conversation the movie no and it is extremely <laughs> boring for that for some reason people consider it a masterpiece quite fond of it <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly boring <laughs> it's that was awful anyway let's not talk about my dinner with andre it's kind of off topic um briny uh hi was a rewatch because basically prime did this thing on international women's day where they went international women's day please stream our movies um, and they had stuff like Mean Girls. But on there was um, The Girl with All the Gifts, um, oh, which yeah. I've seen before. I enjoyed. I still enjoy. I'd watch Paddy Considine, you know, going down Asda. I'd just watch him in anything. Um, <laughs> I like the book. I think it's a really good film adaption of the book. Uh, the kid is really good in it. And I like seeing London looking, you know, like something out of a post-apocalyptic plant zombie thing. It's good mm. fun. Well, it's yes. not good fun. It's quite bleak. But um, I just think it's done really well, and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think I was in a bit of an escapism mood because when I'm when I'm feeling like that, I do tend to go for zombies. Um, and I kept that up, and I stuck to Amazon Prime, and I saw something starring Game of Thrones. It's called uh, Patient Zero. Stars all of Game um, of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> or is it just someone whose name you can't remember, so they're now called Game of Thrones? But there's like five Game of Thrones in there. Hold on to your hat. <laughs> Doctor Who was in it, but it was like it was obviously. Um, so it was Matt Smith played the lead. He played like an American guy, and his accent, like you kind of went along with it after a while. Agnes Den, in one of her very few acting roles, was in it. Um, Samwise Tarly, Samuel Tarly, Samuel Tarly from Game of Thrones is in it, uh, and Marjorie Terrell. Also, I don't know their real names. Um, don't I don't to. know the characters, so this is no, absolutely well, <laughs> the most meaningless thing I've ever heard. So all of the all the British actors in it had American accents, apart from Marjorie Terrell. So she obviously couldn't do an American accent. It was easy viewing. There wasn't anything terribly wrong with it. It was, you know, your typical sort of like, we're going to make a zombie film, but hear me out, it's rabies. 
And it's like, all right, well, you, you crack on. And they're like, okay, we're going to hire Matt Smith. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, and he's going to do an American accent. All right. <laughs> and uh, also, he um, did get bit, but he's immune and he can talk to the zombies. <laughs> okay. And his whole thing, right? Doctor he really who, he can talk to the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> he can walk with the zombies. Um, yeah, it, it hit all the notes of, of a really basic zombie film. Even to the point where at the end, they just go, um, the end, here's a voiceover saying it's the end. And we'll continue. And I was like, yeah, but, but then what, Matt Smith? But then what? And he's like, I don't know. I'm Dr. Who. And, um, <laughs> and you know when you watch a zombie film, particularly sort of low-budget recent ones, and they, they hit all the spots. Like It's like going on a roller coaster that you've been on many, many times before. It's like if you go to Thorpe Park and you go on a really good one. And then you go down like uh, to the level to like the local fair, so it's like it's similar, but it's just not getting. Yeah. Uh, Did you say the name of this film at all? Uh, Patient Zero. All oh, right. Because okay. they're looking for Patient Zero. A very forgettable name as well. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine, um, and it tried to go a little bit out of the box with the whole like, well, he can talk to the zombies; they uh, they can understand each other. Did the zombies have anything interesting to say? <laughs> they wouldn't really, would they? They'd just literally just be going, can you feed us brains, please? And he's no, going, well, okay. No, the whole thing was like, I'm really angry. Can you feel it? I'm so angry because I've got rabies. Am I a zombie? Don't know. <laughs> so it's basically like talking to a cat. Hungry, <laughs> angry. And his wife's all like, oh, I'm so angry, but I love you. And he's like, I'm going to cure you. I've got blood. Um, and it's just, yeah. And I don't know. It really took me out of it because um, the fat lad from Game of Thrones was in it being all like, hey, I've got a kid. And it's like, why? What's the accent? Where are you from? It sounds like when I was about eight, I was in a musical that called for an American accent. And I'm an eight-year-old. Well, I'm not an eight-year-old at the moment, but I was an eight-year-old. Um, <laughs> the way you're describing this film is as if you're an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was an eight-year-old from Surbiton. I, you know, I don't know how the fuck to do an American accent. And that's why you were in The Bill and not The Wire. Yeah, yeah. 5-0, <laughs> oh, 5-0. Oh no, Omar is on his way. Dan. Hello. My high was I thought that I would revisit Troll, the the original, and about five, ten minutes in, realised I'd never seen it. Right. So now I have the excitement of trying to work out what the fuck I thought I'd seen, (laughs) (laughs) and have just had the excitement of watching Troll for the first time, which was an absolute delight. Yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, loads of really earnest rubber puppets, a lot of variation, loads of different puppets, absolutely no rules to the horror which i really like no idea what's going to happen from event to event because they were just making it up on the trot yeah absolutely fantastic and i think that there's something about like turning people into entire forests that yeah is quite uh, disturbing and yeah just well, don't get yeah. that in any other film there's I, I like portals it's got portals i like killer hand puppets it's got killer hand puppets i like a woman having a sexual relationship with a mushroom it's got that <laughs> it's, it's got everything you could want from a movie uh yes and you're low uh because i decided that the category three stuff uh, the list that you provided wasn't broad enough and because i apparently hate myself i did a bit of additional watching around yeah. these films and i managed to track down a copy of uh legend of the banana spirits it's directed by Cheng Chow, who did Horrible High Heels. Uh, and it has moments where it feels like it could have been a fantastic, like, what the fuck midnight movie. But unfortunately, enough of it is just very boring that it 
it was a really hard watch. It was like sort of two, three in the morning, and I really struggled through it. <laughs> With a title like that. And- yeah, it does have oh. a lot of fantastic uh, like transitions to make ghosts appear. Like it seems like there was a there was a bit of a banana spirits thing, like zeitgeist going on um, around that time uh, in China, because there were a couple of banana spirits movies. They're a, they're a traditional folk. Uh, spirit or spectre? Uh, are they really? Uh, yeah, there are. There's, like as is as is often the case with these things, you can see parallels between them and and uh, and like sort of our folk mythology. Um, but the basically, it's a spirit of a woman who lives at the bottom of a banana tree in a banana plantation, and okay. if you can. Uh, you can tie a thread to the tree so that you can find your way back to it and she'll tell you how to win money in gambling but then she'll ask you to do something and if you don't go back and repay it then she'll fuck you up but she's not shaped like a banana no but I, but it reminds me of, she lives at the bottom of a banana tree and then sometimes at the top of a banana tree right and then sometimes <laughs> in a small condo some way away from the banana trees apparently <laughs> I was just picturing a horror film based on bananas in pyjamas. Right, my high... I'm going to do two highs, actually, because I've seen a lot of shit low-budget horror films and it's making me depressed about the current state of the genre. There's a lot of terrible shit coming out. And I'm sure it's just because there wasn't much made last year and so, like, all the stuff that's been sitting on the shelf since 2018, 2019 is just being given its shot now, but it's awful. Um, so, by two horror-adjacent highs, um, I rewatched The Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's Tasmanian 19th century rape-revenge epic. What struck me about it on this rewatch was, like, the middle section is quite reminiscent of those 80s buddy movies where, like, uh, an angry, annoyed white person would be teamed up reluctantly with a streetwise black person. And, uh, I mean, it's not it's not a buddy comedy, but it really struck me as being similar. <laughs> It's a hell of a comparison. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great film, though. And the other one is um, Grand Piano, where Elijah Wood plays a concert pianist who has to play every note perfectly, otherwise a sniper will shoot him and his wife. (laughs) Which is (laughs) absolutely ridiculous concept, but it's so brilliant. Really exciting and silly. It sort of knows it's silly, but it plays it straight, and it's great. And Elijah Wood's brilliant. Mm, It's really fun. Mm. So now let's move on to this month's theme. And in 1988, the government of Hong Kong decided that some movies were getting so violent and sexy that they should restrict children's access to them. So a rating system was introduced consisting of categories one, two, and the adults only rating, Cat 3. Three times one. What is it? So when we're talking about Cat 3 horror, we basically mean horror films that were given the equivalent of an 18 certificate. But the thing is, they tended to be so similar in tone and themes and style that they form a nice little subgenre of their own. Well, maybe not nice, but a great (laughs) exemplar is Herman Yao's 1993 film, The Eight Immortals Restaurant, Human Pork Meat Buns, better known in the Western world as The Untold Story. And that's our first feature. There's no English language trailer for The Untold Story, so I got a couple of great actors together to dub it for you. Bitch, how dare you sell me out? He wouldn't give you his restaurant, so you dismembered his whole family and dumped them into the sea. You never thought that the limbs would wash up on the beach, huh? You already killed Cheng's family, didn't you? 
I didn't do it. Don't try to frame me. Sir, they are beating me, sir. Open the gate, sir. Help me. Where do you think you're going, eh? What? Is it against the law to go to China? No, but not until we have a talk with you down at the station first. Who the fuck do you think you are? The cops are beating me. Look, look at my bruises. You Macau cops are always framing innocent people. Doctor, watch out. These Macau cops always frame people. What? Haven't you harassed me enough? I hope you will cooperate and stop screwing us around. If you confess, you will be in prison for only 24 years. If I send you back to Hong Kong, you'll face the death penalty. A restaurant owner claims to have bought the place from his predecessor, but when body parts wash up on the beach, it seems that the truth might be more sinister. Back in the 90s, when I was first hunting out Cat 3 horror films, uh, the untold story, or Bun Man, as it tended to be called back then, was said to be the one, the must-see. Uh, so I think it was the first one that I ever saw. Was that the case for you, Dan? I remember in the sort of mid-90s, I, uh, I managed to get myself to the Watford Film Fair, and it was like a, a world opened up. And I would imagine that I ended up with a stack of them, so I literally right. don't know which I put on first. But it was, it was certainly... Like, and this is a very, very low bar to set, but it's one of the more respectable Cat 3 films in that it, yes. it is sort of, it's viewed through a somewhat academic lens now, rather than just as pure exploitative garbage. <laughs> it's one of the very few that we're talking about that have actually had a Blu-ray release. Yeah. A very nice one with it. I think it's like the most accessible um, because it's, it's pretty heavy, but it's got comedy very inappropriate comedy definitely mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's got a plot which is nice yeah yeah it's like yeah. A, a thin plot <laughs> and then Good and then plot. at the end there's some violence to the likes of which you don't really see in western films mm. i must say going back to it after all these years it felt like with the exception of the chopsticks scene mm. uh it felt really quite tame that end stuff yeah. And maybe it was because it was one of the last ones I rewatched on this on this journey. Um, <laughs> I'd forgotten quite how like like gurning and slapsticky the cops were, um, like how ludicrous their their sequences are, like how just shockingly shit at their jobs they all are. <laughs> this is a trope in these movies, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It? The, um... The comedy bumbling cops, even with like the ones that are like sort of super mega grimy and serious, it's like you're watching one of the sort of Hollywood serial killer movies from the 90s, so like Silence of the Lambs or Seven or whatever, but instead of having a sort of dark, complicated cops character, you've got the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> it's even got the Chuckle Vision music. Yeah. Whenever they come on, it's like... <laughs> yeah, and you've always got at least like at least 20 to 30% of the cops are just horny. Like, that's their entire yeah. yeah. personality. <laughs> Yeah, it's like let's go to the crime scene. Will there be girls? <laughs> You've got the that wonderful line where the 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 police chief is uh, tells his female officer who's being systematically bullied for not being feminine enough. Yeah. On the one day that she does dress up in a makeup and a dress that she looks like a prostitute, <laughs> and she says, "But the women you bring around the office all the time look like prostitutes." So he's like, yeah, "That's because they are oh. prostitutes." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I watched the Cat Three documentary, and this is one that they um they spoke about a lot in that. So I was yes. quite excited for this, and with it having such a high rating on IMDb, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." But I felt it's got like good practical effects 
but it's one of those films that I know it's not as horrible as the others, but it does still feel quite sleazy. But at the same mm. time, it felt very parody to me. I felt like I was watching Naked Gun. Like the first time <laughs> that guy gets stabbed in the eye with the... Um, with the letter spike, the receipt yeah. spike. He just starts falling over the place for a good two minutes. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. And then when um, the guy gets taken to the police station... They just stamp on him for two minutes and he just carries on and on. It just keeps going. I'm like, am I watching a comedy or am I watching a serious film right now? These films, they don't really know when to be serious. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of the things I love about them. Why does he get so many blankets? (laughs) (laughs) They've got a blanket quota. If they don't use up all their blankets, then they won't get as many blankets next quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Basic police station economics. No, I thought, it, I thought it was good they've got to help yourself to as many blankets as you like policy in that prison. Yeah, with the razor blade afterwards so no one sees that you're up there. But it's a true story. This actually happened. The killing of the waiter and the cashier didn't happen. That's obviously just to add a bit of excitement earlier on. It was eight people that were killed, wasn't it, and then served up as... It was ten. No, they they weren't served up as the um, was, was it not ones. That, was just, that, oh, was, that bit's not I true. I just added into this, okay. Yeah, Yeah. well, I think that was, that was the rumour at the time because they, the... The corpses that were found were had bits missing, so they were like, "Well, you know, it's a restaurant; they must have eaten them." I do like a bun, a Chinese bun. Yeah, I, I watched that, and I was like, "I still really want pork buns." <laughs> I've uh, I've got a copy of the the Dragon DVD special edition from the early thousands, which came in a, a bento box with a copy oh. of the restaurant's menu, wow. uh, and two little plastic pork buns and a load of chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. As long as the chopsticks weren't meant to be a sex toy. Uh, yeah, you'd have to buy several box sets to get that money. Right, okay. Or just some chopsticks. <laughs> Improvise, make your own. Oh, don't, though. No. Really don't. Please don't. Uh, um, you know that Anthony Wong, um, who plays obviously the killer, you know he won the Best Actor Award at the Hong Kong... Chinese Oscars, yeah. Yeah, he turned up as this character on stage and everyone, he was acting just mad when he went to pick up his award and everyone was really confused as to what was happening because they were like, what is this guy doing? (laughs) Turned up all like really sweaty in the exact same outfit from the film and just walked on stage (laughs) to get his award. I mean, it's it's fucking weird that he would have won the best actor Oscar. What was the competition like? He is brilliant though. He's like the sort of the best kind of special effect in this film. And it's like the other one of these that we're going to talk about that he's in. He's incredible in that as well. So yes, fair dues. He's like if a human was crossed with the concept of gurning. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like he manages to have his the corners of his mouth wide open and the middle of his mouth in a close-lipped grimace like for the entire film. Mm. Yeah, he does the he does the mad facial expressions thing but he gets away with it because it's kind of his thing in I mean in a very very different way but that's kind of like what Nicolas Cage does when he does his mad yeah. eyes. It's very much kind of like oh yeah he's doing his mad thing. In the documentary he says that he basically signed the contract for the movie before he read the script read the script and was like, what the fuck have I done? This is awful. I I want no part of this. But they wouldn't let him back out. And so he decided that the only thing to do was to turn his anger at having to be in the film into the performance that he gave in the film. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Amazing. And yet he then went ahead and did two more films with Yao. So... Yeah. He's very grumpy in that documentary. He seems really annoyed about half of the films that he was in. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, he's happy to talk about it, but he's very dismissive of it. Rick Baker, not the uh, not the not one, yeah. special effects guy, but the guy that used to own Hong Kong Legends, the distribution company in the UK, um, did a screening of Untold Story in the UK, and then has his own has a story about how he brought Anthony Wong over into the UK and a friend of Rick's was obsessed with the movie and for some reason wasn't at the screening or this was before the screening and he didn't know that Wong was coming over. So Anthony Wong's come over to England. He doesn't know really why this film is a success outside of Hong Kong. Uh, so it's all a bit surprising for him. Uh, and the first thing he's asked to do as part of his marketing duty is to go with Rick to a suburb of London and doorstep his friend at like midnight. <laughs> Rick hides in the bushes and Tony Wong is asked to press the doorbell. And when the doorbell is answered, just shout, Bun Man! <laughs> Which he diligently does. Oh, how bless him. So that is the kind of work ethic that you get if you come up through Cat 3 films, I think. It wasn't um, actually released here, was it, ever? I don't think it had got an official release. It was a quote-unquote festival screening. And a kind of underground bootleggy market. Oh, God, so many bootlegs. I've still got I've got the, the Dragon set. I've got the Laserdisc still. I've got an American DVD. I've got the Blu-ray now. <laughs> it's a good film. But for all the comedy in it, uh, The Untold Story ends up as one of the nastier Cat 3 movies, possibly. Although maybe it seems a bit tame these days, I don't know. Uh, but there are a pair of films that are also based on a true crime that are both pretty grotty. Uh, Human Pork Chop and There is a Secret in My Soup. Uh, these are both the true story of a group of heavy drug users who imprisoned and tortured a woman who'd stolen a wallet uh, for several weeks until she eventually died. Dan, you really wanted to talk about these two. I've not seen There's a Secret in My Soup before. I mean, they're quite latter-day Cat 3s. Uh, mm. As viewed back to back as I watched them this time most recently and have have done before, yeah. um, they are a very peculiar duo. I I've heard uh, suspicions, and I I feel that this must be true that they were both made from the same script, that it was floating around, mm. and that they were they it's just have. two directors. They were released on the same day, yeah, less than a month after the trial ended. Less than a month, yeah. They were they were in production while the trial was still completing, which is why both of them just end with like, and they're in court. You're all going to jail. The end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Human Pork Chop ends with a massive title card that said, "This is a fictitious <laughs> play. Any comparisons made to people living or dead is entirely coincidental." Is like just the biggest lie in film history. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only real deviation from the core narrative that the two share is that uh, Human Porkchop has the most incredible scene with a dog. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm totally gonna spoil it, but it's worth it just for this scene alone. Uh, and this is why I'm here for these films. Like the fucking wading through all the rape in these things is horrific. Like I did a lot of fast forwarding. Um, but like this is my brand of wanton violence. They're waiting around. They've got some shit to go on these triads. They're sat outside on a, like a, a shop doorstep having a chat, and one of them goes, "Oh fuck! Look at that dog. That's a good-looking dog." And they're like, "Yeah, that's a really fancy dog. I like that dog." And they're like, "This is great." So they all pile over to go and check out this dog, and it's a hilarious like brachycephalic smash face little thing. And they're like, "This is a nice fucking dog." Uh, and the woman with it is like, "Oh yeah, no, he's really nice. His name is Worm, by the way." Uh, doesn't, doesn't matter but I like it um, she's like yeah yeah it's a good dog they're like wow was it expensive and she's like yeah it was $7,000 and they're like fuck me that's an expensive dog she's like yeah I've got to go into this shop and buy some stuff will you look after it and they're like yeah that's fine we'll look after your dog so she goes into the shop and obviously at this point you're like well these triads are going to steal this dog 
but they don't steal the dog. They put it in a bag and smash it against the wall. Oh. And then it's oh. never mentioned again. They just leave. <laughs> Like it's just a montage. They one of them's like, there's like again, it's like that fucking Chucker Brothers stuff. No dialogue. One of them just one of them's holding the dog, enjoying the dog. The other one finds an old bag and is like, <laughs> pointing at the bag. The other one's like, and tips the dog into the bag. Cut to a wide. Is this the point where it goes to me to you, but in Cantonese? <laughs> it's that except that instead of to me to you, one of them is just smashing a dog against a wall in a bag, and the other one's shouting harder. Honestly, it's so baffling. They just went well. I think someone else is making the same movie so we need to take it up a notch the scene where they force the girl that they're torturing to eat shit out of the toilet yeah that does happen absolutely in both. repulsive stomach turning it's but so horrible in its in its defense i will say that human pork chop manages to have zero rape in it which is rare for this genre that's it, even for a film that is about people trying to coerce someone into prostitution whereas the other version is unbelievably like salacious <laughs> and has those two extended like God. cinemax style nine oil minute sex, sex scenes, scene like, in a garage, garage erotica yeah <laughs> where they're using all garage equipment like the little thing they use to pump up the tires one of them culminates with a sausage on a drill <laughs> A chipolata on a drill, yeah. yeah. Not a chipolata, a savaloy, a savaloy on a drill. Definitely a savaloy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're both pretty grimy. And the other thing is that in Hong Kong, they were referred to as the Hello Kitty murder, the yes. true story. Uh, and it's because in their like bungling body disposal, one they rendered the body down in a crock pot. They managed to get rid of a lot of things. Human bones are largely unidentifiable to the layperson if you just chuck them in with, like, you know, meat garbage. But human skulls are pretty instantly recognisable. So they keep hold of the skull and they ingeniously hide it inside a big Hello Kitty doll. And both films, again, because it's the same script, start with the police finding the skull in the doll. And then, to their credit, There's a Secret in My Soup did a good job of, like, telegraphing the big Hello Kitty doll all the way through the film. However, unlike Human Pork Chop, and I don't know if it's because they got permission from Sanrio and There's a Secret in My Soup didn't, or if it was just that Secret in My Soup eventually balked at the idea of being taken to court by this Japanese children's entertainment giant. But all instances of the Hello Kitty doll are censored out of There's a Secret in My Soup. So instead of them telegraphing this big Hello Kitty doll, there's just a blurry patch floating around in the background. And in about three or four occasions, it lines up to look like someone has their cock out and they've censored it. <laughs> I thought it was just like a really like long-running muff. Was, um... A long muff. Oh, that's all muff. That's Japan. These films are absolutely knee-deep mm. in thatch. But not a lot of dick. The thing about that Hello Kitty thing, where in the, at the start of Human Pork Chop, where the detective is sitting next to it and the Hello Kitty is sitting in an evidence bag, a plastic bag, yeah. and he's saying it's the most brutal crime that he's ever seen. I thought, what? Suffocating a Hello Kitty? <laughs> and I, I did also wonder if Hello Kitty just didn't want to be in... Um, there was the secret in my soup, and so she asked for scenes to be removed. Um, hence the pixelation. <laughs> you never know. Oh, and There is a Secret in My Soup was, of course, from the director of Pretty Woman. What? <laughs> a, a, a different Pretty Woman. A different Pretty Woman, yes. It is similar, though, isn't it? Because it's about a bloke who... Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's not funny. A bloke rapes and murders his colleague in the office and so hires a lookalike prostitute to take her place with hilarious consequences. So he made a business of just directing the same script as other people constantly, evidently. Yeah, basically. Is your copy of There is a Secret in My Soup um, uncut? 
other than the Hello Kitty pixelation. Um, I believe so, but it's amateurishly made, so there are some weird edits. But it's oh, got... there's definitely cut my version, which is a real shame because I couldn't compare which film has the better shit eating scene, for example. Oh yeah, no, it has the shit eating. <laughs> is that what you do with your films, Cliff? Uh, which which one's got the best shit eating scene? Well, that's how they're rated on the wall. That's how they're ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got to have a categorization system. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Cliff's got his, he's got Sallow, and then he picks these two films to pick which one has the best shit eating scene. <laughs> Sometimes you're just in the mood. Sallow, this meet the Feebles. Yeah. Human Centipede 2. Sometimes I watch an episode of MasterChef in between or something, you know, just <laughs> cleanse the palate. If you want something really fucking nasty, it doesn't get much more out of order than Billy Tang's Red to Kill. Um, in this one, uh, Christa Berg's missus should keep away from the home for adults with learning difficulties because it's run by a violent rapist who's triggered by red clothing. Uh, I'm not saying that Christa Berg's missus has, a, has any sort of mental problems, but, you know. Have you seen the state of him? So, Red to Kill is my favourite of these films, but I am well aware it is totally beyond the pale. You've got this mental patient... Mental patient? Is that the right... That's not really the right word. A woman with learning difficulties called Ming Ming, who's so lovely, so cute, is really put through the ringer in a way that you'd expect Lars von Trier to do. The middle section is like this really harrowing uh, drama about rape and like... It's got that scene where she's in the shower cutting herself for ages. But, you know, full frontal nudity, because, you know, why not? And then it turns into, like, a supervillain film where the rapist comes back all ripped and, like, just putting his cock in here and there. And you're supposed to find it exciting, and, and it is exciting. But it's so horrible. It's so out of order. You're right, Cliff. <laughs> I'm, like, right. Okay. I, I'm, try- I'm sort of trying in my head to justify liking this film. It's You've so done wrong. a terrible job. Okay. <laughs> I might cut all that then. I don't uh, think the quite <laughs> exciting was the, was the right word. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll try and reword that diplomatically. It's, yeah. um, it's compelling to watch. There are times where you can't look away from the first sort of twisted murder and what he's getting up to in that building. It's horrible. And the court case is horrible. Um, but it is, it's engaging. Yes. Um, you really want him to get fucked up, <laughs> like with yeah. a lot of these. It's this. I found this month difficult, but also similar to our our real life serial killer episode, where a lot of these men are just absolute losers. So it's really like vindicating when they do get their comeuppance. Um, and that was a frustrating thing because I, I found a lot of these films are about what ninety minutes long, and it always gets to the half point. And there's something really fucking brutal, and I found myself like going over to the the computer, going, "Oh fuck, we're only forty five minutes in. Something really horrible is going to happen." And then we've got another forty five minutes. Is it going to go even more horrible? Are we going to see this again and again? And um, I mean, as we said at the beginning, this month's been really tricky news wise, and you know, watching these films was just like, oh god. But I did like that he got fucked up in the end. <laughs> it's a good dispatching. Yeah, um, totally. And also, you know, it was actually, sorry, I'm eating a cream egg. Um, <laughs> That's seasonal. It's all that talk of eating shit. <laughs> the court scene is, is really harrowing. I found the court scene probably more disturbing than, than some of the, you know, the, the human flesh-eating scenes in the other films. Yeah, Just because of the way they go, they lean into to Ming-Ming. Mm. Um but that's that's realistic. Lily Chung's really good at playing that character. I don't know. Do you think she's wearing a false um, set of teeth, false, false rail of teeth, to make herself look a bit special? 
cliff. <laughs> I mean, how else do you put it? It's not the most sensitive film, is it, when it comes to portrayal of... No. I'm quite glad I didn't watch this one. Yeah, yeah no. You, you it's problematic. Watch. It's definitely problematic. It's problematic as fuck, but it's still quite emotionally engaging um, mm. for all of that. But I'd never want to watch it ever again. I also found it really upsetting. Yeah, it is an upsetting film. It is good. I think the reason that there are some of these that I can go back to is that there are two criteria that make them enjoyable on repeat watches. The first is uh, like so bad it's good ineptitude, which none of the films we've discussed so far have like really embraced yet. There's mm-hmm. one in particular, two, two in particular that are very much that and i enjoy them on that level um and then the other is like the extremity whoa what the fuck i can't believe what i'm seeing stuff and i can really get behind that but and i don't know if this is maturing with modern society or just being a bit older or whatever but like i find realistic depiction of suffering on an actor basis quite difficult these days like i love special effects i love a dog in a bag being smashed against a wall as long as i know it's not a real dog like that kind of stuff fucking great and i can watch people immolate children and cut up bodies and like all that all day long that's fucking great i can't watch rape scenes and i can't watch people like being beaten in a realistic and mm. like sort of cry way. There's nothing mm. there for me. I'm sure they're all doing a very good job of acting, but I just fucking hate it. <laughs> That's mm. the thing with some of these films, yeah, because it's like some of them are just really harrowing and hard to watch. Yeah. And some of them, I was just pissing myself having a great time. Yeah. Well, something, something made me laugh is there's an actor in it called Bobby Yip, and he plays ugly mental patient, right? <laughs> <laughs> Poor bloke. His other roles in other films... <laughs> include Ugly Assassin in First Shot, Ugly Triad in To Live and Die in Time Shatsui, another Ugly Triad in Private Eye Blues, Ugly Guy in Those Were the Days, Ugly Extra in Meltdown, another Ugly Triad in Sexy and Dangerous, Suspicious Ugly Guy in Lover's Tears, (laughs) Short Ugly Triad in Ebola Syndrome, yeah, another Ugly Triad in Passionate Nights, Ugly Guy Flagging Taxi in My Dad is a Jerk, And my favourite, in Killing Me Tenderly, he plays ugly vendor of pirate compact discs. (laughs) He's the only vendor of pirated compact discs in that film, but it's nice that he keeps getting work. I like that they had to add the additional suffix short in Ebola Syndrome. It's like, well, we've got four triads. We've got a short, ugly triad, a tall, ugly triad, a tall, handsome triad. triad. (laughs) And a Caucasian triad. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I feel we should skip briefly over the other rape-heavy movies we've been watching. Uh, So is there anything you want to highlight from Her Vengeance, The Peeping Tom, or the delightfully titled Prostitute Killers, which is not the thing in my DVD library that I'm proudest to have on display, but it's there all the same. Uh, I was in a shop once and someone came in to buy prostitute killers and went up to the vendor, this is like a a sort of an under-the-counter bootleggy place, uh, and went, what's it about? (laughs) (laughs) amazing um do you like prostitute killers uh (laughs) not the people the film (laughs) um it's yeah like this was one i just sort of skipped through because i remembered it being pretty like pretty base uh it starts with that weird werewolf mask scene which Mm -hmm. i objected to yeah, it's just there's not that much there for me with that one, to be mm. honest. 
It's good if you want to watch um, three horrible blokes go, but without having to watch a uh, 70s sex comedy. Um, (laughs) It's a 70s sex comedy without the comedy or the sideburns or the jokes. It's mainly about them getting into trouble with some gangsters anyway. Mm. It's kind of, the title oversells it in a way. Um, Thing is, I think it's supposed to have a message about like how uh, rapist killers aren't necessarily like seedy single men. But then it says, oh, but they're all that way because they're mums. Their mums were horrible or died or whatever. Did they see their mums doing a sex? Is that what it is? Uh, It's it's, it's more that they they neglected them. Yeah, but it is that that trope sort of thing, yeah. That trope, yeah. Oh, I saw my mum doing a sex wearing a red dress. Me! (laughs) Something that fascinates me about these films, they pretty much all come in at 90 minutes or thereabouts. And presumably that's because it just makes it easier for the cinemas in Hong Kong to schedule. But it does mean a lot of these feel really rushed. Within scenes, people will completely change uh, their motivation just to move the plot along. It's like, if, it really feels like the script was written by someone who was desperate for the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the same with Her Vengeance. Like, that was sort of all over the place. Yes. Yeah. I like the, um, the dancing ladies in Her Vengeance. That's my positive thing about that movie. I like the uh, VD Doctor. He's my, he's my favourite. Yeah. Oh yeah, the one who just looks at him and like, nah, you got AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally just let me take a look at his Yeah, he was AIDS. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that one at least has a vaguely coherent story and it kind of like hits all the story beats. It's obvious which scenes had been cut previously and then restored, which was quite good because it was like sort of getting telegraphed. Something bad's going to happen now. Now is time to go and eat a Yorkie or whatever. <laughs> Smashing the patriarchy, obviously, because that's a message fitting in with the movie. Um, There's a no biting scene, though. You got to give it that. She she bit his knob a little bit. She did bite um, his knob a little bit, and there's some good fighting at the end as well. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had liked the rest of the film as much as that wheelchair finale. Just that fight is ridiculous. <laughs> when he just starts taking his will off and just throwing it at people. Oh amazing. yeah, that's amazing. When he's in training and there's the, the cockroach. Oh, yeah. and he just just is like just rolls towards it and then just almost falls off the top of the roof. Mm. Yeah. He's going after a cockroach. He's a badass. It's worth noting that the end scene of her vengeance happened several years before Home Alone, uh, so we can <laughs> we can obviously assume that they were just stealing from this. Yeah. Um, Ching In Lam, who's the uh, wheelchair fighter, he, he's, yeah. he had legs. He really had legs in real life, and it's really cleverly done because you could swear that he didn't. <laughs> You should watch the amazing Mr. No Legs. You'll like that. But but did the actor in that have legs, really? Uh, yes, they're inside that <laughs> enormous fucking wheelchair. God, that's even more amazing. <laughs> the amazing Mr. No Legs who had legs. <laughs> so your two criteria for, for watching a movie are, does the actor have legs? What's the shit-eating scene like? Whether or not there is shit-eating isn't even asked. That's a given. It's just about the quality <laughs> of the shit-eating. It almost felt like, because, you know, it's ten years after... I spit on your grave. It it sort of feels like it takes some things from that because she starts to meet the guys and the guys don't really know who she is. Like when they're in the car together, that whole scene of being quite weird when she cuts his ear off and everything. That's great. Like, like I think that those scenes are good, but yeah, I did feel some bits were a bit sleazy, but the finale is the thing that I liked about it the most. And I, yeah. wish, <laughs> I wish I had liked the rest of the film as much as that ridiculous finale because that feels like a completely different film. Yeah, There is a lot of that in here. I think they were trying to cater to a lot of different tastes. Yeah, I mean, this one starts out as like a grotesque sub-Miyazachi rape thriller. 
and then turns into a movie where a man in a wheelchair pulls out his own spokes so that he can stab someone with a handful of them. It's <laughs> amazing. Someone gets beaten to death with a durian as well, which is amazing. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world's most innately violent fruit. Um, and the Peeping Tom. Um, I think Peeping Tom's so good. I used to think, like, it, films couldn't be extreme if they were shiny and glossy and really well lit and all that. The Peeping Tom proves that they can be if they're just brutal enough. And um, mm. like, it's as if no one had said to the director, you are not supposed to shoot rape scenes like this. You are not supposed to have this much like salacious nudity. You're not supposed to have this many rape scenes in a film. But it was like, fuck it, who cares? And so like, it's, it's horrible, but it looks amazing. It's horrible and also incredibly boring. Oh, did you think yeah. so? Well, apart from anything else, aesthetically, it's the most 1997 thing that ever 1997. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even in terms fair. of what the guy is wearing and his shades and everything. But yeah, I just found it really... I mean, I quite like the sort of the tonal shifts in some of these movies. I think they're quite interesting. But with that one, yeah, I mean, it, it, the lighting's good, I guess. But, you know, I could say that about a trip to Ikea. You know, it's not... <laughs> I, mean, I don't... I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Ikea, but... <laughs> I've not seen that one, a trip to Ikea. Well, a trip to Ikea, oh, it's harrowing. Yeah, well, you that? don't want to go there. Is that a Category 3 film as well? <laughs> no, it's from Sweden. Four. <laughs> Swedish equivalent of Category 3. Moose 3. There we go. It's got the most gratuitous uh, shower masturbation scene ever. Absolutely no need for it. Goes on forever. <laughs> I suppose the one thing you could say about that is, that, oh, no, she's having a wank in the shower and he's going to attack her. And he doesn't. She just has a nice wank in the shower and gets them with her day. Yeah. yeah. Feminism. <laughs> <laughs> but then whenever you see her after that, all you know about her is, oh, she's the one who had a wank in the shower. So that is her character trait. Is that her in the credits as well? Wank in the shower? Short, ugly wank in shower. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the back of the DVD does give the characters' names as Ken and Sue, and the killer, uh, the killer's name is Roy. Sounds like a 70s sitcom. Well, it sounds like the sort of people you'd invite around for a barbecue in Bromley in the early 80s. <laughs> like Sue's sister Kelly. She's a bit younger. She's a bit more happening. Ken and Sue get mildly frustrated with Kelly. She's always making them a bit late for things because she spends so long in the shower. <laughs> anyway, uh, so now we'll edge towards the more intentionally funny side of Cat 3, albeit starting with Bloody Beast, in which a village weirdo confesses his crimes of rape, child abduction and murder. But this is meant to be funny, isn't it? See, this is the thing. I don't think this is meant to be funny. Like, there are a couple of sequences that are obviously gags, like the bit where one of the guys they're having wank in a cupboard as part of the police process is gay. But other than that, it's pretty stone-faced. It, obviously, it is wall-to-wall -wall hilarity, including that baby in a papoose being hit with a hammer. But it's, yeah. like... So obviously this is not one of the ones that manages to get by without sexual assault and those bits are fucking horrible. But all of the other stuff is so inept and so amateurish, both in its filmmaking and in the depiction of the police doing their duty. When we were talking about the crap police in mm. Untold Story, this features, for me, the epitome of that within Cat 3 Cinema, which is the bit where, towards the end, the guy escapes by taking off his shirt under a bridge and then escaping because he's not wearing a blue shirt anymore. <laughs> One of the junior police goes, we found this blue shirt under a bridge, and his boss is like, you fucking idiot, that's trash, throw it away! <laughs> it really is proper Chuckle Brothers. It's like there's a scene early on going, did you check for semen, Barry? No, I didn't, Paul, was I meant to? 
<laughs> have you tasted this, Paul? Is it semen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it literally is. Oh, this tastes salty. Oh, I like God. the subtitle in that um, sperm sample scene where <laughs> the police are saying, go on, get your semen out. <laughs> get your spunk out, get your spunk out, get your spunk out for the cops. They have zero idea how DNA works at this point. Yeah. Uh, and they, they don't realise that semen DNA and, like, hair DNA are the same. Yeah. So when they get the killer's DNA from a semen sample, they're like, well, the only thing we can do is to get all of the left-handed men in the area to wank in a cupboard. Yes. I mean, it's good-natured bad taste, I think, this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's appallingly made. Like, no one has a clue what they're doing during the film, but that's pretty delightful. I like how the end, it just stops. So I don't yeah, know what we're doing now. Bye. Well, no, no, the ending's actually the only moment of quality filmmaking, because basically he's like, look, I'll confess to everything, but I've got three demands. One, keep my family out of it. Two, don't report it on the TV. Three, you have to shoot me in the face immediately. <laughs> and they're like, fine. He did not go to school for negotiating. <laughs> I was expecting some kind of coda after, though. It was literally just, uh, now he's dead, the end. Well, no, they, but that's the thing. He's, they, he says, can I have one extra request? Like, at the end, he's finished his thing, and they're like, okay, so now we're going to kill you. Uh, and he's like, good, that's, that's what I wanted. Uh, also, incidentally, I don't think this is prison i think this is jail like i don't think he's been to court they're bypassing the the sentencing process and just agreeing to shoot him in the face because this is pre like proper arrest it's still questioning Mm. um but yeah he says i've got one more request and they're like yeah what is it he says i've never had a foreign cigarette which ties into something earlier in the film and they're like okay here you go have the pack he says i only want three and they go all right and they give him three and he lights all three of them and then just puts them in his food and then he gets led away and shot in the face. And the last shot of the film is those three cigarettes standing upended in some like mash or something, burning. But they represent jostics that are prayers for the three victims. Oh, okay. Ooh. Symbolism. So that's his arc, is being able to be repentant, being able to be regretful for the things that he's done. So you don't really get that when the um, subtitles on the versions we see are so perfunctory. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of the time you're not really sure how well or badly these films are written because the subtitles are just so basic. Like, in the original Cantonese, are the police really saying, get some clues, arrest the murderer? Or is there something a bit more, you know, less less written by an eight-year-old? They, they are hilariously obsessed with, get some clues, bring me some clues! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on from that and on to a film about a maid called Bok Choi who's accused of giving her husband an aphrodisiac that made his massive penis explode. It's a Chinese torture chamber story. I just want to, like... <laughs> a round of applause for a I Chinese torture this. chamber story. It was fucking ridiculous. The old jizzery was out in force. Yeah, the jizzery working overtime for this one. Kevin yeah. Smith's description of Superman's ejaculation in a film. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is so much fun. I mean, the film itself was great, but also when we talk about subtitles, my favourite sex scene was the one she just kept going on and on. So comfortable! So comfortable! <laughs> Oh, so comfortable. Um, it was so comfortable to watch. It was like, it was great fun. What a stupid film. I really enjoyed this. There's the other subtitle where she says about he was going to make his penis longer. And she says, your penis is only one foot and six inches. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
there was so much to enjoy in this. I like the um, the flying sex people. Yeah, the flying oh, sex people. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> you weren't able to. No, you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't expect that, really, would you? <laughs> Kind of comes out of nowhere. The sex fight between Kui Dan Feng, the conquering cunt, and Yun Zhong Lung, the penis god, to yeah. use their full names. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And then the guy like gives them shit sex toys that he's made, and they're like, oh, very interesting, thank you. The sex toys are incredible because they subtitle them in the same way that old Waxia movies used to subtitle like moves. So like someone would do like a cool move yeah. in an old Shaw Brothers picture, and then there'd be a title down the side of it that was like, Flying Dragon Vengeance Kick. But in this, it like when he explains his sex toys, his invented sex toys at the beginning, it's like the dwelling bells, orgasmic armor, sheep's eyelids, and Mr. Horn. (laughs) 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 Mr. Horn incidentally being a fucking sock full of mushrooms that you get wet and push up yourself. (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. There's so much in this film. The only thing I could really compare it to in my limited, because I am a basic bitch, was like films like Shaolin Soccer and um, what's the other the, all of his work kind of the, the slapstick Chow. yeah yeah but that but with more dicks and, and but it does have a very Stephen Chow vibe to the comedy Hungry Hustle that's a really good one a lot of the the female characters are very similar to the characters that he has in his films I strongly recommend digging back through Stephen Chow's older films before he made it in the West with Shaolin Soccer mm. uh, God of Cookery has one of the best endings of any film ever just fucking amazing and not that this is necessarily a way to recommend it but if you can get hold of a copy of god of acting uh there is a fucking mad bit of chuckle brothers in that that is very obviously the reason it's never been released in the west oh, really <laughs> uh, i mean i'll just spoil it if you want no I, I want to see that out oh, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah cool it's, right it involves Three... a small naked boy Okay. God. <laughs> You're bursting to say. I really am, but I'll I'll keep it in. It's fine. <laughs> Do you know the best thing about torture chamber though? The thing I really enjoyed about it is like I stuck it on, then it was like oh, oldie times, torture, torture, skin, head, burn. I was like, all right, cool. I'm in for a sort of you know maybe over the top kind of torturey special effects. Cheers. Out of nowhere. Severed cock and balls within the first minute. Oh yeah, in the, straight into the bowl. Yeah, I was going to say that this yeah. this one does have some absolutely brilliant subtitles. Um, and the the bit at the beginning, within the first thirty seconds, which is a man hanging upside down screaming, "I don't want to be eunuch," <laughs> <laughs> immediately following the plate with the cock and balls on. Um, yeah. The guy having hot lye poured into his scalp mm-hmm. so that he literally jumps out of his own skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I saw the guy pissing on the rat for like a whole minute I was like it can't get any weirder than this and then it just does yeah, out you, nowhere no, this is one of those movies where you can't say that because it is always going to get weirder yeah by the but, end I, I don't know if it just peters out or if like your eyes and your brain are full but um... <laughs> see I thought that and then there's then there's the line give the bitch wooden donkey to paradise and then I was like oh, okay Right, three years after The Untold Story, uh, remember that, uh, director Herman Yao and star Anthony Wong reunited for Ebola Syndrome, which I love, um, a gross, <laughs> disgusting chef and murderer who's hiding out in South Africa contracts Ebola when he rapes an infected Zulu tribeswoman and then spreads it around Johannesburg and then Hong Kong. Right, you know um, at the beginning where you did the robot voices for the trailer? Yeah. That was very similar to the uh, to the South African overdubbing of this film. 
It's funny how everyone in South Africa is um, English. The guy in the butcher's shop was um, trying to do like a proper South African accent. Yeah, he was pulling it off like quite well. The way he was saying fuck off was very, um, sounded very authentic. I mean, they did shoot it in Johannesburg. I looked up the uh, location, it looks quite nice. Yeah, one of the only reasons Tony Wong agreed to do this with Yao was because he promised him that they'd be doing it in Africa out of the sight of the producers so they could change the script as much as they wanted. Oh. Amazing. He said the script was so bad when he was offered it that he was like, I can't do this, what can I do with this? And he's like, no, 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 no. No one's going to be quality checking this. We can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> it's so much fun. And hes I think he's even better in this than in Untold Story. Yeah. He's absolutely cracking. He's chewing the scenery and just having yeah. so much fun with it. The gurning is just incredible. <laughs> there's so and... much gurning. And there's there's loads of weird lines where you just think, it's, was did he... Did he ad lib that? Like at the yeah. end, he was where he's screaming Ebola at everyone, and he, he, all the subtitles say, "No, it's not Deborah, it's Ebola." He's Oprah Winfrey Ebola all the way through. <laughs> you, go, you, get Ebola. you get Ebola. You get Ebola. You get Ebola. Very, it felt very, um, it felt very suitable for our current pandemic times. It was very. Um... Oh yeah, because it's the same way to tell someone to put on a mask, isn't there? Mm. So you have to wear this. Yeah. Has anyone else seen SARS Wars, which came out no. a couple of years later? Oh god, is, uh, no. I think <laughs> I think it's a Taiwanese zombie movie about SARS four being a zombification virus, and this feels like if that and untold story sort of produced a child oh god when he shagged the bit of pork (laughs) that's great yeah it's funny oh it's just so great he's so (laughs) gross he's so good at playing like gross losers well there's also again comedy subtitles there's the scene where there's a blowjob happening and he shouts be more lewd (laughs) (laughs) he says kiss me and then suck it and then keeps going kiss me suck it and it's just And, and then, then it's going three strokes fast, up. two strokes slow, three strokes fast. <laughs> I know how to wank off Tony Wong now, so you know I've learned something. <laughs> yeah. He looks like he'd get out of your grip easily because he's oily. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the Ebola outbreak scenes were a bit more convincing and they really went for it in like gross out ways. They're like the rest of the film. But I do love the first guy to contract it. Um, where he's just on the marina, just on the marina, reminiscing about what the boats are like in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, there's lots of big boats. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> in Hong Kong, there's lots of big boats. <laughs> that's why you get a bowler. autopsy doctor ever. I don't think that's how they do autopsy. The autopsy is amazing. Oh, God. It's really good. They say we're doing a wide incision in the a subtitles. Y- it's, it's, like, a y- it's a wide incision. incision. But if your subtitles want to say wide, that's fine. And then they're like, oh, look, look, uh, they just start peeling his fucking face skin off, going, oh, it's all liquefied. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think that's how you do it. My favourite moment in that autopsy, aside from the genuinely quite good face skinning, is the bit where he goes, hmm, his large intestine has liquefied. All of his internal organs have deteriorated and his lungs have gone all mushy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right in thinking that your father-in-law does do autopsies. My father-in-law is a pathologist, yes. Yeah. Have you shown him this? To, uh, I have that? not, but I I might show him that sequence just because I think he'd enjoy yeah. it. Despite my father-in-law, I was, I was sort of gifted an advisory pathologist when we did High Rise. 
And he's this really very nice guy who seems to have made the transition from, I think he's an expert witness is his thing now. He just goes to court and explains things. Um, but then he has a nice side hustle in being an anatomical advisor to film yeah. people. And I had a couple of good chats with him before I met him over the phone when we were doing the head peeling for High Rise. Uh, and then when I got to set, he was exactly what you would expect from a professional autopsy man who advises films in that he was wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt with no sleeves <laughs> he was he was great I really liked him <laughs> well that brings us nicely onto um, story of Ricky uh, yes! because apparently According to IMDb, John Hopkins University retains the film in its medical reference library for anatomical study. Bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, it's more of a splatter action movie than a horror film, but uh, you could safely watch it with your gran, I reckon. It's about a young prisoner who uses his superhuman strength to destroy the bullies who rule the jail. Because he hates heroin. I think that was his motivation. Yeah, he hates drugs in general uh, because he blames the drugs for the death of his girlfriend. Yeah, he didn't die from drugs, she just... uh... She died near drugs. She died near drugs. She died next to some drugs, that's right. She died sort of in the vicinity of drugs. She was near drugs when she jumped off the building, and then she was three stories away from drugs when she died. <laughs> it would be a very different film if Ricky hated building. <laughs> well, <laughs> buildings do not get off lightly in this film. Yeah, he does punch a few walls. He does punch, he does punch quite a lot of walls. Punching walls. Yeah. Come on, grow up, Ricky. And he certainly hates wet cement. <laughs> yeah why is there just a hole in just in the jail that just made this room just the wet cement room you've got the wet cement room you've got the droppy ceiling room you've got the surprise <laughs> trap door <laughs> and and then on top of that they never lock a single cell in the whole movie like some shit goes down in the corridor and people just open their cells and have a look <laughs> and the boss is a man who purposely shaves his head to look like he's balding I knew a comic artist called Big Tasty who used to do stuff for trauma and he shaved his head into male pattern baldness because he thought it was funny and a bald man came up to him and berated him so hard in the street that he decided he had to get rid of it he was like you think this is funny motherfucker you think this is a choice i don't know how i'd never seen this before it's a masterpiece. i haven't watched it i just love how ridiculous it is the only scene that's bothered me though the continuity is that guy gets his, gets his? I know it's like, yeah, you can't really look at continuity in a film where people are getting their stomachs punched in. But he gets his jaw punched off. Yeah. The guy yeah. who gets crushed, and then he's just talking. No, no, no. Look, they've they no. Was what they've done is they've painted this bit under his chin red. So that's it. That's all you need. <laughs> I just I just saw the fist up and the whole jaw come off, and the next Special thing he's effects, talking. <laughs> the effects in this were fantastic. I mean, I love the big puppet lad. Oh yeah, oh, yeah big puppet lad is so awesome. Good. Yeah. He's incredible. I need I need more films of this type. Obviously, I like good special effects in a lot of films, but I like films with wildly optimistic match cuts to puppets. Yes, like when they, <laughs> <laughs> just, and not even like not, and I'm not even talking about like Savini's blue-headed explodo zombie at the beginning of Dawn of the Dead, where like they've gone, ah, fuck, I've, I've never made a black man before. Are they blue? A black man blue? <laughs> but there's only like one frame of him before his head explodes, so like there's no you know you can kind of get away with it in the vhs era certainly in the watching things in the cinema era but like this it's like oh we'll cut to him and there'll be like 12 to 25 frames of the puppet before (laughs) whatever's going to happen to the puppet happens to the puppet you could do a more realistic job these days but 
would you want to for a film like this? Well, I think growing up and, you know, now being a special effects artist, growing up on films like this, it was like being shown a version of a film where, like, you get to see all the inner workings. It's like going to the theatre for a magic show, but it's a bigger venue than they've ever done the magic show before, and he's not used to the wider line of sight. Mm. So you're sat at the side, and you can just see all of the sleights of hand, all of the fucking shit going in the pockets, and all the stuff coming out from under the desk. And you go, oh, okay, like I get what they're going for, and this is actually quite a good idea. I could do this better. So watching films like this when I was growing up were a very influential part of getting into effects for me. There is a lot going on. I've always loved the um, bit where Ricky punches that guy's fist and the guy's fist oh, just disintegrates. So good. But also, like, there's so much good stuff. You forget about the little things, like where um, Wong Chan jumps out of the ground, just kicks a dog in half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. These are, like, the sort of stories you write when you're a small child where you don't care about anything to do with reality. It's just like, and then he kicks his head off and everything's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure the script was just a list of statements punctuated with, and then. And, and then he goes to prison, <laughs> and then he punches a man, and then he falls over and gets his face on some nails, and then he punches a guy in the arm. <laughs> What about the knitting needle guy? Yeah, knitting needles on string. You mean you mean short, ugly gang of four? <laughs> he is extremely ugly, that guy. Yeah, he doesn't even get a proper death, does he? He gets shot in the bum and explodes in a vent. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there's two people that get shot. Because uh, there's Cyclops, he blows up, doesn't he, yeah. when he gets shot? Yeah, the warden's got his special gun that blows yeah. people up. And then he could shoot Ricky with it, but he goes, oh yeah, you're immune to bullets, and throws it yeah. away. And it's like, you have just demonstrated that these are not normal bullets. <laughs> but he's got a trick up his sleeve, that warden. I love the wide shot. Like, he looks so tall and menacing and big in the fight. And then towards the end of the fight, there's one wide shot where he's just like a normal height guy in a big, like, heavy fat suit. And he just, he's like five foot ten. He's doing his best to be imposing. Oh, it's a, it's a good fun film. And we'll finish with our bizarre second feature, directed by Chan Wai-on, Chow Chung and Mao Chang Pan. It's the 1996 film Horrible High Heels. And there's not even a Chinese language trailer to dub for this one just a compilation of dialogue free scenes on the trailer so enjoy these sound effects i suppose <laughs> oh and music from body double body double phantasm and near dog <laughs> Right, that's enough of that. Um, a shoe manufacturer is abducted by a masked killer. It turns out the leather he used is made from human flesh and something to do with gangsters. Uh, so, <laughs> first off, I thought, I thought let's finish on a nice fun one. Um, and then the very first sequence is of a real cow being slaughtered and eviscerated. Uh, but, I mean, Horrible Hills is a fucking mess, isn't it? Absolute mess. Oh, it's a beautiful mess. Well, I, I just wonder if any of the three directors actually consulted each other about what film they were making. It's Naked Gun again. This was Naked Gun yeah, for me. Yeah, 100%. Again. I wonder if this was three films that the studio put together with the same cast. So they were filming kind of concurrently. So one of them would shoot over here, one of them would shoot there. And if this actor wasn't needed for that one, then he could be in that one or whatever. 
and then they were like well all three of these are garbage so let's just <laughs> shunt them together and make one film that's garbage <laughs> it feels a lot of like what happened with um battle royale 2 requiem where the director of that died and then the um and his son shat on his grave yeah and it felt like two completely different films it was a right mess oh my god yeah kenta fukusaku just like ruining the memory of his father within what like two months (laughs) i I really liked this when i first watched it and i came away thinking why haven't more people seen this film and re-watching it oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah i know exactly why but I still think it should get a restoration on Blu-ray because my DVD of it is cut. So there's some really jarring... This feels edit. like a Vinegar Syndrome film, not a Criterion or an Arrow film. Sure. Like, that's the thing. And I would love a good Blu-ray of this. Yeah, because I, I want to see what happens in full where the killer uh, gets the photo of Sherry with her, her mouth cut out, goes up to it with it in his posing pouch or his jockstrap or whatever fucks the hole in the photo and enters the rear end of a goose, a live goose. A recently decapitated goose, a dead goose. Well, no, he decapitates it as he fucks it. It's live at the start. <laughs> wow. It's like that, that scene in Serbian, Serbian film. film got yeah. <laughs> yes, the Serbian film is a, is a homage to the horrible high heels. Well, that's just another trope, isn't it? The old um, decapitation fuck, you know. <laughs> Everywhere. Does he not know fleshlights exist? I don't think they did back then. <laughs> this is the reason why fleshlights were invented. <laughs> so people wouldn't have to ruin things in the butcher shop or in the restaurant they worked in. They'd Are you saying like... that um, the fleshlights were a co-creation of the Duck Protection Society and Snappy Snaps? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Snappy Snaps campaigned hard against the uh, the invention of the fleshlight because the people fucking women through an 8x4 of a goose were the only people ordering 8x4s anymore. <laughs> that's how good this film is. This is this usually happens when we get a film and we're like, there's not much we can say about it. Let's talk about shagging Snappy Snaps. <laughs> <laughs> but we I mean we're very much talking about this film. For what it's worth, I have three A4 pages of notes on this film. <laughs> Begin your lecture. <laughs> so obviously this film owes a huge debt to 1982 Chang Shun's Human Skin Lanterns. Or Human Lanterns. Yes. I'll give you uh, that. Yeah. Which is one of the pre Cat 3 Chinese horrors that paved the way for this stuff. Uh, I, I, no, I can't do this as a proper... It's just notes. No, no, no. <laughs> and a lot of it is very badly spelt, I realise, going back through it. It's all right, I'll match those subtitles. It's full of sentences like, <laughs> two gangsters have a machete fight in the docks over the contents of a rice bun. There are boxes of shoes involved. It turns out, however, it's an assassination. Wheelchair boss, <laughs> Feung Shin, who had bit parts in Better Tomorrow, The Killer, Tiger on the Beat, Ebola Syndrome, An Untold Story, turns up and has him shot, saying, betrayers must turn out to be be the merchandise so all this stuff's going on is it's quite plot heavy i think yeah and yet, because it's three films yes <laughs> mainly because of that and yet in the last half hour of the film it still finds time for a six minute wank scene you mean the the dream wedding sequence she's having a wank while thinking about shagging her brother not a real brother but... adopted brother sherry yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherry is yeah. fantasizing about having recently married Tien. So the the red yeah. cloth over her head uh, is a wedding night tradition. Like oh, it's okay. the veil, the Chinese veil. 
uh, and she's rubbing one out in bed uh, and she's having uh, a fantasy about their first sex. Uh, and there's, I don't know if it's a deliberate naivete or the director's accidental naivete, but this heterosexual couple on their wedding night, scissor. It's absolutely yes. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a long scene, uh, a crucial point in the film. Well, but no, it's it's demonstrating her emotional connection to him. It it, it justifies her reaction to shit later on. I mean, I'm, I'm glad something does because I didn't know whether she was coming or going, apart from in that one scene um, in the whole film. Cause... <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like I've, I've, I've got dementia or something because I'm just like, I can't remember. I know this happened. This, this I know there was a man called Chen, but I don't know why. That's what I feel like with this film. It's just it's his parents thought it was a nice name. Yeah, well, why was he? And what? And there were shoes involved, and the shoes were too hard. Made from African deer leather, apparently. Smuggled okay. in by the Japanese. But it's not African deer leather, it's human skin lanterns. Shoes. Human skin shoes. Is it why though in Ebola syndrome they say he says he's got African burgers? Yeah, they're like just going, oh, exotic. Here's the thing, it's slightly <laughs> different to what you expect, but don't think it's gross, think it's exciting and exotic. This is a little bit like when I was in primary school and there were all these kids that had seen Jaws 5 when they were in America. <laughs> it's like, no, you can't watch it because it's an 18 and it's been banned anyway. I mean, there is a Jaws 5, but it's an unofficial sequel from Italy. Is it Terror Jaws? Jaws 5 is Cruel Jaws, the Bruno Matteo one. In 1988, in the playground in Hertfordshire, we didn't know about Jaws 5. No. <laughs> There's a great bit in Jaws 5 where um, they're sailing off on the boat into the sunset and the Star Wars theme starts playing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So, yes, uh, as we mentioned, the music in this is um, lifted from other films. Mm-hmm. The laser noises as well. So there's the punch-up before the man gets assassinated. Yeah. yeah, it's just those laser noises. And then later on, when she stabs the guy, when she mm. keeps slashing the knife at him, that does the laser noises then as well. <laughs> but why, were they, why do they use those? Well, you've got to bring the audience in, you know, from the sound designer of whatever that was from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could watch it, close your eyes and go, oh, remember that other film that we liked? It's a bit like that. <laughs> I, I love this film. It's got some bits I would skip through for obvious reasons uh you know e- even though i love a leopard skin print jock strap i'll skip through that scene um but the 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 rest of it is just so fucking chaotic i love it it's like having a genre shout in your face <laughs> what a brilliant summing up the thing that saddens me is that as these films come out on Blu-ray and whatever, and as they finally find their audience, people retranslate the subtitles, and I don't fucking mm. want that. There's a there's an Umberto Bava film called You'll Die at Midnight, aka Midnight Ripper, um, which was released in Germany on the X-rated video label on D- on DVD, so not that long ago, with the most amazingly shit English subtitles. I've never laughed harder at subtitles than that film. It's still my like. <laughs> absolute like benchmark for good bad subtitles but i fucking know that if that comes out anywhere else they're not going to use the the terrible german english language subtitles they're going to retranslate it and it's going to just be a mediocre film with an all right twist i want that version i can't remember which film it is but um there was the option on one blu-ray to have the original crap subtitles yes um, what was it? I've said to Arrow a number of times, I want you to start putting like the bad VHS print on as well as an extra feature. There's a there's an old martial arts film called Strife for Mastery, 
that is I've only ever seen dubbed. Uh, I think it's called like Two Flaming Swords or something like that on the American re-release. But both that has the old VHS dub on it and all the way through it's just fucking crazy waxier nonsense made up weapons like oh it's a rice paddy hat with blades in it this guy's got some fucking <laughs> knifey string up his sleeves all the way through and then the last 10 minutes is just people fucking pulling off their faces and being like I'm his dad oh I'm your mum like all that kind of stuff <laughs> and everyone is like justifiably what the fuck is going on and then someone pulls back some moss and there's a gravestone at the top of this hill and everyone's like oh fuck me that makes all the sense and then and the film ends but because it's dubbed i don't know what's on that fucking gravestone <laughs> i had that film it's one of the first bootleg kung fu films i ever bought i loved it i loved that i never found out what was going on i loved how baffled it left me and then i found out that the uh the american dvd of it had the same dub so i bought it on dvd because i wanted it on dvd but i wanted it with that shit dub and no explanation <laughs> and if they release it if they release it with a version that tells me what happens at the end i'm not watching it i don't want to know <laughs> my ignorance is 80 percent of my enjoyment of that film which is why you like this one then because no one knows what the fuck's going yeah, on yeah absolutely <laughs> It's a delight. Oh, well, my live goose slash duck hasn't been delivered yet, so we've got time for a round of scary noises. <laughs> we have six pairs of movie clips. One half of each pair is from a Cat 3 film, and you get one point for each half you identify, and a bonus point if you get both halves of a pair. Dan, you're on the team with Bryony, and obviously you're playing against Luke and Emily. Uh, here's your first pair of scary noises. 500. 500? I bet on you always. Yes, Bryony. There's the dialogue ebola syndrome. It is. And did you get the music? No, but Dan? it goes like... Dan, did you recognise the music? I didn't recognise the music. Can you play it again? I can play it again, but it's for Emily and Luke. Can you get the music? 500. 500? I bet from you always. Give me this gun. It's busy. 500. Take it or leave it. Hey, you're wasting my time now. Take the meat or fuck off. Fuck no, day. I fuck you, do Don't you talk to me like that. I'll tell you I want you, boys. I will not shoot that from, but I will tell you to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a folklore movie. What do you think it is, Luke? I thought a field in England or the witch. I thought a field in England. It's a nice guess, uh, but it's wrong. It was Necromantic 2. Yes. <laughs> okay, number two. If you can learn to regulate your brain waves, you can gain control of your heart rate, blood pressure, headaches, backaches, even ladies' cold feet. Bryony. So the music's from a Chinese torture chamber story. Of yes. course, Unchained Melody. The dialogue. I don't know, man. Can we have an extra point for knowing that Unchained Melody was being played on an air who? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Luke Fine. and Emily, can you get the dialogue? <laughs> I watched a whole YouTube you video on traditional Chinese instruments for that. <laughs> oh, you, you're advised for this. You know we don't get any prizes. <laughs> <laughs> if you can learn to regulate your brain waves, you can gain control of your heart rate, blood pressure, headaches, backaches, even ladies' cold feet. Now, I work at the Paragon Institute where we study the phenomena of extrasensory perception. And we are using biofeedback techniques to tap 
the almost limitless resources of the human mind. Oh, is it a Cronenberg? Luke, do you know? No. Can I can I guess for glory? Not for oh. points. Oh, 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 for glory. I thought your guess was yeah. the glory. No, no, can I guess for glory, but not for points? Yeah. It's not Exorcist 2, is it? Nope. That's ah. The Fury. Yes. Uh, you should have said The Fury, Bryony, instead of The Yeah, The Glory. The glory. Yeah. yeah, you got excited. I was going to say you were a couple of letters out. Uh, number three. Come on. Relax yourself, okay? Just imagine you are the top model of the world. I'm the best photographer of the... Emily. Uh, the dialogue is the peeping Tom. It certainly is. Music. Um, no, I, no, I don't I know. I guess. All right, Dan and Bryony, can you get the music? Come on. Relax yourself, okay? Just imagine you are the top model of the world. I'm the best photographer of the universe, see? Then, then, come on, relax. Hey, I got an idea. You are a dancer now. Dance whatever you want to dance, ballet, modern dance. Yes, okay. It's killing me, but I can't place it. Not a scooby, unfortunately. I, th- I think I have it in my collection. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's the killer nun. Oh, fuck. Okay, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the halfway point is 2 1 to Brownie and Dan. Here's number four. The pestilence which walketh in darkness. Lovely. The destruction without the wasteth of noonday. Brownie. It's the music from um, uh, Soup Human Does Something Secret in My Soup. No. Ah. Any ideas on the dialogue? No, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> <laughs> Dan? Uh, I'm just going to have to close my notes because I'm just staring at the sentence, he comes a bucket onto a gong. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, no, I'm afraid I don't know. That should be the title of a movie. He comes a bucket onto a gong. It sounds like a Jallo title, doesn't it? It does, yes. What's to do with coming a bucket on his gun with his eyes? He comes a bucket onto a gong at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> In high heels. <laughs> Same for all tastes there. Um, Emily and Luke, can you get the music and dialogue? Lovely. The pestilence which walketh in darkness. Lovely. Is the music red to kill? It's not. Oh, okay. Dialogue? Any ideas? I don't know. I just thought I could hear a man saying, Love me. Is that what he was saying? Lovely. 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 Um, it was it was a clever one. This it was uh, the music was from Prostitute Killers, and the dialogue was Barry Foster killing a prostitute in frenzy. <laughs> Number five. Come on, Josh, look at this. Let's just keep going. I mean it. Come on. You don't want to get help? Help from who? Why? The dialogue's from Jeepers Creepers. Oh yeah, well done. It's the music from Bloody Beast. Yes, that's a bonus point. You got them both. <laughs> Amazing. So with one to go, that is 5-1 to Brownie and Dan. So uh, Luke and Emily, you can't win, but uh, maybe for the glory, can you get these? Number six. Well then, is the police department on the phone now? No, sir. A call from the warden. He's coming back from Hawaii tomorrow. What? You're coming back? That was Bryony again. Story of Ricky, baby. Yeah, Ricky on the dialogue. The English dub, yeah. Luke and Emily, can you get the music off of this? 
Well then, is the police department on the phone now? No, sir. A call from the warden. He's coming back from Hawaii tomorrow. What? You're coming back? Damn. Why is he coming back so soon? Raise the zero alarm! Oh, no, sir. Ricky and Rogan are still outside, though. What? You must follow my order. Any idea? No, no idea. It was The Field Guide to Evil. It's a good soundtrack. It's nice. It is, yeah. I'll revisit that. Mm. Uh, that's an amazing scene in Story of Ricky. I like the guy who just turns up in the doorway and is shouted at and then like does like four double-take steps before running away. <laughs> I'm annoyed I didn't watch the English dubs. <laughs> well, the reason I thought I'd watch the English dub is to find out what kind of stupid voice they give the uh, warden's fat comedy son, and it did not disappoint. I think he represents capitalism. <laughs> so like honestly whoa, they've just whoa, been slow down slow down they've just been to an american protectorate in the form of hawaii he comes back he's dressed like one of the fucking what's that american children's thing with the dog with the patch eye the sandlot kids he's dressed like one of the sandlot kids he's fat corpulent like exhibit of excess and all he cares about is candy and he mm-hmm. delights in the suffering of the prisoners I think he's meant to be a sort of cack-handed depiction of the evils of capitalism. I thought he was meant to be the blueberry girl from Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also that, but, you know, Roald Dahl, filthy capitalist, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, right, so that was Scary Noises. So, as we come to the end of this month's show, Dan, thanks again for joining us. You have been absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, (laughs) What have you got coming up that you would like to plug? The new Chris Smith is going to be debuting on Cinematic and VOD in the next couple of weeks. I did some stuff for... What's it called? I can't remember. (laughs) 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 Fuck, I knew you were going to ask me that. And as I started the sentence, I realised I couldn't remember the name. Which is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I've drunk quite a lot of wine. Is it The Banishing? The Banishing, thank you. Right. Uh, So uh, Christopher Smith's The Banishing is going to (laughs) be getting a release in uh, the next few days, slash weeks, uh, which I did some makeup effects for. Uh, Broadcast Signal Intrusion just played at South by Southwest, uh, which I got to direct some sequences uh, for as well with the lovely James Swanton. Uh, And then obviously we have the ongoing uh, Arrow Video podcast. Yes, which is brilliant. Oh, and of course, In the Earth, the Ben Wheatley picture that we did during lockdown. Uh, yes, is uh, is due out uh, next month in America and in like three months in the UK. Oh, so long to wait. And what's it about? Uh, it's a folk horror. Yeah, it's a folk horror. It's it's a folk horror, and it's got Rhys Smith in it. I think if oh, you go wow. in expecting a spiritual successor to Field in England, you won't be disappointed. Cool. Looking forward to that. So joining us next month though uh, to talk about films directed by John Carpenter is the amazing comedian Nick Helm. Um, our features will be in the mouth of madness and they live so why not let us know what you think about them we're on twitter at devil x5 we're on facebook.com slash devil x5 and also luke's a big hit on tiktok though i don't think that's got anything to do with the podcast <laughs> got the 40k followers now yeah oh, i thought it was, it was 50k last week have you lost 10,000? no no it was, what did you do? it's 500k uh, likes that's what i got oh right oh, okay 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 well you're vegan luke on there is it yeah yeah Cool. Are you legit on TikTok, Luke? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I thought this was a bit. I decided to post one video in January and then it did really well. 
and then I've sort of just carried on from there. Been lured in. You can make money on TikTok, surprisingly. Oh. Wait, had, like just generically, you don't have to do anything. You just like if you have a successful video, you make money on TikTok. You have to get to ten thousand followers, and then you can apply to start making money just from posting videos. Sweet Jesus, call me the fat kid from Story of Ricky, but I love capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, you uh, listeners will need to give us a month to recalibrate our sense of what's moral, decent and correct in the world. And then we'll be back. Uh, So until then, thanks for listening.